Now tonight we're going to talk about something that probably I cover every two or three years and I haven't covered it. I don't think I covered it last year, but it's a very important thing. And what's important about it is there's a lot of people that know very little about the Bible. The average person doesn't know much at all as far as in society. And what's sad is the average preacher doesn't know very much. I don't claim to know a lot about the Bible, but I do spend time studying the Bible. I want to know more about the Bible, and I try to learn. And so that, that's good right there. And if you're studying your Bible and reading your Bible and trying to learn the Bible, then you're doing what God asked you to do. That's the main thing. But a lot of churches are Bible-preaching churches, which I'm for. I'm pro-Bible-preaching. And we do a lot of Bible-preaching. But a lot of these churches that are Bible-preaching don't have any Bible-teaching whatsoever. And so what happens is everything's a shouter out every time, which is fun, and I like it. I'm, never, I'm not condemning that. But it's a shouter out, boy, praise God, and look at here. But what happens is the parishioners, the congregation, they never learn anything about the scriptures. And so they stay in the shallow end, I guess you could say. And if you get them in the deep end, they drown. So you're in a mess. So I'm not saying what I'm about to give you tonight is that deep. I'm just saying we just need to study our Bibles is what I'm saying. Not that this can be that deep, but anyway, it's an important thing. Now, I've had people ask me in town, even this week, they said, are y'all having a service on Friday? Has anybody asked any of y'all that? Okay, they have me too. And, and I just politely said, no, I said, we're just going to have a Sunday service. And I didn't say anything. But the truth is, Jesus didn't die on a Friday. He didn't die on a Friday at all. And I'm going to show you why he didn't die on one. And I'm going to show you in the Bible how we can prove it. All right. In John chapter 19, go ahead and be turning to John 19 if you're not there already. John chapter 19, we're going to find out when the Lord died. Now, even though he didn't die on a Friday, there's people that believe he did just because that's what they've been told. The average Baptist believes that just because that's what they've been told. Uh, thank God people are still picking a day and saying, we're going to remember the Lord's death. So see, when I say that he didn't die on a Friday. I'm not coming down hard on people that say that he did. I'm glad that somebody's recognizing that our Savior died for us. So see, that's still a good thing. But to be biblically correct and get our Bible right, we've got to see when he died. And so Easter's coming up Sunday, and so this will be a good night to talk about it. All right, John chapter number 19. And here's the Lord, and he's on the cross. And the Bible says in verse 30, it says, When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. You say, what's that? The spirit inside of him left. It departed is what that means. He gave up the ghost. He died. Many times in the Bible, you'll read that same phrase about different people. I think Abraham gave up the ghost. And some of the others in the Old Testament patriarchs, you'll read where it says they gave up the ghost, simply meaning that they died. And that's what it's saying there. That's the Lord on the cross. And he said his final words when he did, he bowed his head, gave up the ghost. That was the end of it. Then all he had was a body there. His spirit was gone. So his body's still on the cross. But notice in verse 31. The Jews therefore because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day. For that Sabbath day was an high day. Besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. So under the Jewish law, people couldn't hang on a cross on the Sabbath day because that's a holy day, so they had to take them down. But the Bible clearly says in parentheses, letting you know something about that Sabbath day, it's telling you that Sabbath day was not a normal Sabbath day. It was a special Sabbath day. And it says, for that Sabbath day was an high day. 
unlike the regular Sabbath day. A regular Sabbath day would have been on Saturday coming up. And so if he died on Friday, like they're saying, they're saying, well, we got to hurry and get him off the cross because it's about to be Saturday. And it's Saturday, you can't hang there because that's the Sabbath day. And so we've got to get him off the cross because our law will not allow him to hang there on the Sabbath. And so we got to get him off. And the problem is that's not going to add up no matter how you do it. Because on the first day of the week, the Lord was raised from the dead. Now, I'm going to show you some more stuff. When we went to Israel back last September, that was their um, New Year's in September. It's not our New Year's, but in their country, that's when their New Year's is. And we left. We got there on a, uh, did we get there on a Saturday, Friday, Saturday? I can't even remember now. It was a Sabbath when we got there, wasn't it? So it was a Saturday. Well, we got there, and we were in Israel. And we did this and did that. We went here and went there. And boy, they took a state here and took a state there. And there's a gift shop over here and one over there. And boy, we'd go in and browse. And anyway, and people, they, Baron Jr. would buy something. We'd all watch him, you know. <laughs> and uh, anyway, and we all bought stuff, just tease him. But anyway, we'd go in those gift shops and see all these different things. And it was really neat. And our tour guide, or uh, Brother Chris Morales, or the missionary, he told us this. He said, um, it was about Wednesday. And he said, if y'all are going to buy anything, you better start buying it. He said, because tomorrow is Thursday. And at 6 o'clock on Thursday evening, everything's shutting down because there's a special Sabbath for the new year. And that's and see, during the Sabbath day, on Saturday, everything's closed in Israel. Just like it used to be on Sunday in America. How many of y'all remember that when you couldn't even buy gas? I don't remember it, but I know it is because you've told me. But anyway, I don't miss it by much. But anyway, you couldn't buy groceries. You couldn't buy gas. You couldn't buy anything. People shut down. The whole town's shut down. All of them shut down on Sundays, just the way it was. Because people recognized that day. It was a holy day. It was God's day. And that's the way it was. Well, anyway, that's how they do over there. And on the Sabbath, they shut down. And so when we were there, they had a special Sabbath. And sometimes during a special week, they've got a, more than one Sabbath in a week, take your Bible, go to Exodus, Exodus chapter 12. This is where all this started anyway. What they're getting ready to, to observe when the Lord died on the cross is the Passover. And that was the last supper. We've been studying about that in our uh, young adult class over there. We've been studying about the last supper and how they ate the last supper and took all that. And that's where you get the great big painting of Leonardo da Vinci with the last supper. And uh, I told, showed them in Sunday school, I said, which is not very scriptural to begin with. It's a famous painting, and there's nothing wrong, but it's, you know, if you want one, that's fine. But don't you think it's strange they're all seated on the same side of the table? <laughs> they kinda... One guy said it must have went down like this. The Lord said, hey, boys, everybody wants to get in the picture. Come over here and sit by me. <laughs> and another thing, they're all seated in upright chairs. And in the Bible, they're not because the Bible talks about they had banquet seats. And so John laid his head across the bosom of our Savior they were not, when he was seated. They were not in an upright chair. Another big giveaway is you look out the window and there's great, pretty, rolling Italian hills. <laughs> they weren't in Italy. They were in Jerusalem. So yeah. anyway, so that's where you get that. But that's all right. Exodus 12. We're talking about the Passover. This is the Passover lamb. The Lord said, "If I see, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where the Passover comes from. They were to kill a lamb, put it on the doorpost, on the lintel, and all that. And he sees the blood, I'll pass over you. All right, Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter number 12 and verse 14. 
And this day shall be unto you a memorial. And ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And in the first day there shall be a holy convocation. The first day would have been Sunday. And in the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation. That convocation is an assembly. What that is, is a Sabbath. What that meant was, in that week, there were two Sabbaths. You had a special Sabbath because it was the Passover. So on the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat. That only may be done of you. And so even in the Bible, you see that there could be multiple Sabbaths in the same week. We read about that in John 19, 31. It talks about the Sabbath day there. And the Sabbath was a high day. It was a special day unlike any other time. Now, there's something else we need to pay attention to. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 12. We need to understand how long the Lord was in the grave. Because that messes Friday all up. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12. And the only way we can teach anything or understand anything is go by the Bible. That's the only book we have to go by. It's the only book God ever wrote. And in the Bible, he tells us everything that we need to know. All right, Matthew chapter number 12. Matthew chapter number 12. And the Lord's talking to these folks. And look in verse 40. For as Jonas, in the Old Testament, his name would have been Jonah, same person. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You know what that just told you? That told you back there in the book of Jonah, he was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. You know what else it just told you? It told you that Jonah was a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's why Jonah was like it was. It pictured the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Well, if it did, he said Jonah was in the belly of the whale. By the way, it also tells you as a whale. These people say, well, there's no way it was a whale. Jesus said it was a whale, so I believe it was a whale, just like he said. And you say, well, I don't know if it was or not. He's the one that prepared it. The Bible says God prepared a great fish. I guess he knows what he prepared or didn't prepare, surely, doesn't he? And he said, it's a whale, so I'm going with him. Well, he said back there at Jonah, he said when he went inside that whale, he was in there for three days and three nights. And he said, that's a picture of me, the Son of God, him, dying on the cross at Calvary. And he said, when I die, he said, the Son of Man shall be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, that's where Abraham's bosom was, and that's where hell was and all that stuff during that time. And hell's still there, but Abraham's bosom's gone, and anyway, that's the Lord took captivity captive. We've studied that at a different time. That has nothing to do with tonight, but that's where the Lord went. For three days and three nights, his body was placed in a tomb, and his soul and spirit went down there, and he preached unto the saints in prison and all that kind of stuff the Bible says, which is a whole other thing we won't get into tonight. And so the main thing you need to know he was not buried for three days. He was buried for three days and three nights. According to that. Everybody agree with that? That's what it says right there. Three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so in order to figure out how long the Lord was in the grave, you've got to add up three days and three nights in order to get it. Now, something else we need to know. We need to know what the Hebrew day was like. A Hebrew day is different than our day. Take your Bible and go back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. All right, Genesis chapter 1. And this is 
the Lord during the creation. And I'll show you the first day that's ever existed. It's in Genesis chapter 1. A day is a period of time. And it measures out at 24 hours. And I believe that creation happened in six literal days. Or six 24-hour periods, which means the same thing. All right, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 5. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Now pay close attention right here. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Isn't that backwards from the way we would have it? We would say in the morning and in the evening, because we're Gentiles and we're not Jews and we don't live over there and it's just different. But for the Jewish nation, their day actually started with the evening and the morning came next. And the next evening started another day. And so when it says evening, the evening was at 6 o'clock p.m. 6 o'clock p.m. And it went from 6 o'clock p.m. to 6 o'clock p.m. the next day, the evening and the morning. And it switched over 12-hour periods. The evening lasted for 12 hours. The day lasted for 12 hours. At the end of the day, it was at 6 p.m. the next day, which started the next evening. And that was a day. An evening and a morning were a complete day, 12 and 12. That's how it worked, 24 hours. Now, when did the Lord die? I'm glad the Bible records when he died. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. And we'll see when he died. Matthew 27. All right. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. There's a lot of churches having Saturday services, too, I've noticed. And what I, th I don't know what that's about. It's probably about trying to get people to come to their church on a day that you wouldn't normally go trying to get you away from the church, probably, if you want to get down to it. Matthew uh, 27. Matthew 27. Or we get so liberal that we say, well, a lot of people have plans on Easter, so we'll have something for them on Saturday. Isn't that crazy? We've got too many plans, don't we? Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, when we say ninth hour, the ninth hour is 3 p.m. Jewish time. 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. So is that how you pronounce that? Close enough. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There, we understand that a whole lot better. Some of them that stood there when they heard that, said, this man speaketh for Elias and all that. You get down through here, the Bible says in verse 50, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. He died. You say, when did he die? He died about the ninth hour. You say, what's the ninth hour? He died at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. That's when the Lord died. Whichever day that was, and we'll get to that in a minute, whatever day that was, he died at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. But there's a problem. They didn't take his body off the grave immediately, but they had to get in a rush. And there was a guy I preached about Sunday night named Joseph of Arimathea. 
And Joseph of Arimathea came and he begged Pilate for the body of Jesus. Remember that? He begged for the body. And Pilate gave it to him. And Joseph of Arimathea, with, along with Nicodemus, they had to hurry. And they carried that body across from Calvary to where the tomb was, which is not very far. But still, when you're carrying maybe a couple, you know, 180, 200 pound man, whatever he might have been. A lot of people think 200 pounds. I got reasons for that because of the weight of the uh, 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 bombing stuff that they put on him, and, uh, which was about 100 pounds, I think, of it's what it said. And uh, usually it was uh, uh, half of the weight that a person weighed. So he might have weighed 200 pounds. I don't know what he weighed. But anyway, maybe let's just say if that's what it was, two men carrying him all the way from up there on Calvary, had to come down and go down to where the garden tomb is and take him in there. They wrapped him up in linen clothing, the Bible says. And they wrapped him up and they put him in that tomb and, and get, put the spices and all that kind of stuff on him. It took a little bit of time. So when did they do it? Well, turn to John 19. John 19. Yeah, that wasn't really the verse I was looking for, but that's all right. John 19. I'll just give you this story here. John 19, verse 38. This is right after he dies, just a different account. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, he came therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury it. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, means a grave, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. They had to hurry and get him in the grave because of the preparation day, and the, the, what they were dealing with was not the regular Sabbath, but a high Sabbath. A special Sabbath. The regular Sabbath would have been on Saturday. Now I know one thing for sure. The Lord didn't die on Saturday. Because if he resurrected on the first day of the week. You can't be in the grave three days and three nights. That's impossible. And look in John 20 verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene. Early when it was yet dark. Probably before 6 a.m. Under the sepulcher. And seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they've laid him. They didn't take him away. He took himself away. He rose from the dead. And that stone that was rolled out of the way, it was not rolled out of the way for him to get out. It was rolled out of the way so people could get in and see he was no longer there. That's why the stone was gone. He didn't need any help getting out. I can assure you that. He didn't have to move a stone or anything else. He got out and his body was gone. And boy, he got resurrected. Now the Jehovah Witness, here's what they believe. They don't believe that his body came up. They do not believe in a physical resurrection of Christ. They think he's rotted in a grave somewhere. Only his spirit came up. According to the Bible, his body came up. And in John chapter number 20, when old Thomas showed up, he said, I won't believe it unless I see the holes in his hands and his feet and touch them. And the Lord showed up that next time they met together. And he said, hey, Thomas, look at here, come touch me. He said, 
My Lord and my God. And boy, he fell down. He didn't have to even touch him because he realized as soon as he saw him, he was the real deal. He was alive and everything was fine. Now, for this all to work out, the Lord I'm gonna, is going to have to die on a Wednesday. Wednesday. Wednesday afternoon. It's the only way the math will work. And to this day, Jews refer to the Wednesday before the Passover as the Good Wednesday. And in about 500 A.D., the Catholic Church stole that and started calling it Good Friday. And so that's a Catholic doctrine is where that comes from. The Catholic Church started in the 4th century, 300-something A.D., and Constantine was their founder. And that's where they got their start. And anybody that tells you they started before that doesn't know what they're talking about. That's where they got going. And a lot of the different traditions that you see today are from Catholicism. That's where they come from. And this is one of them. And so they referred to it as a good day. The Jews did. So the Catholics said, we'll make this Good Friday. Since they called that special day a good day, we'll call this Good Friday. And so what they did is they stole the Jews' day. They took it and stole it and made it their own, but they got the wrong day. Now, by 6 p.m., he was in the tomb. If he died at 3 o'clock on Wednesday... In the afternoon at 6 p.m. began Thursday evening. And then, after the next day was Thursday morning. One day and one night. Then at 6 o'clock that evening, what we would call Thursday evening, began Friday evening, according to the Jews. Evening. And then morning. And then at 6 p.m. on Friday, started Saturday evening and all day Saturday. And then at 6 p.m. on Saturday, in Jewish time, began Sunday, the first day of the week. And somewhere in there, the Lord was resurrected. He was resurrected on the first day of the week. Three days, three nights, just like it said. You say, well, he died on Friday. Show me how to do the math. We know that he was resurrected on the first day of the week. Early in the morning when they came, he was already gone. Show me how that works out with your calculator. I'd like to see it. It's impossible. There's no way around it. There's no possibility whatsoever. To believe that, you just got to have blind faith. So well, I guess that guy's right. Let me tell you something. I'm going to take this over that guy. I'm going to take my Bible. I believe the Bible is the word of God. Now, I don't hate everybody that says that he died on Friday. I've got... Friends in town, they think he died on Friday. You say, what about them? Do you think they're saved? That has nothing to do with whether they're saved or not. If they trust the Lord as their Savior, they're saved just like we are. They're going to heaven too. That, and they could be a different religion or whatever. We don't think only Baptists are going to heaven. We don't even think they're all going. We, <laughs> we think you've got to be saved to go. There's probably people in every church in this town on their way to heaven. But let me tell you, if they're going, they're going the same way I'm going. They trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, their personal Savior, and Him alone. That's the only way you can get there. And that's more grace than some of them would give me. Because some of them think because we're Baptists, we're not going. Ain't that something? And see, I don't agree with that. I don't think it has to do with what label you are in order to be saved. God doesn't save Baptists, and he doesn't save Catholics, and he doesn't save Church of Christ, and he doesn't save Methodists, and he doesn't save Pentecostals, and he doesn't save Charismaniacs, and all the... You say, who's he saved? God saves sinners is who he saves. And if you're a sinner, you're qualified to be saved. And so there's people that's saved all over, 
all around. Let's trust our Christ our Savior. We may disagree doctrinally. We may disagree on some things. Maybe we can even fellowship together. But I know this much. If they're saved and I'm saved, we're going to be all right. We're going to go to heaven. There might be some differences, but we're still going to heaven. We're still saved. So that's a good thing to know. Now, the Lord was resurrected on the first day of the week. Because he was resurrected on the first day of the week, it changed everything in how people worshipped. You say, what did it change? It changed how the church met. The church then, after the resurrection happened on the first day of the week, now the church meets on the first day of the week. Take your Bible and go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And in Acts chapter 20, watch this. Verse 6. Acts 20, verse 6. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And watch this closely. And upon the first day of the week, somebody tell me which day is the first day of the week. Then Sunday is not the weekend. It's the week beginning, right? Why don't we call it the weekend then? It's the first day. It's not the end. Saturday's the end. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow and continue to speech until midnight. Now notice on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. And what that, that was eating a meal together has nothing to do with the Lord's Supper. And I can show you other verses in Acts 2 and stuff to show that where they ate their meat in the same context with singleness and gladness apart and that sort of thing. Uh, if you make it the Lord's Supper, you've got it where you've got to have the Lord's Supper every Sunday. And you don't have to take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. As a matter of fact, the Bible doesn't tell you how often to take it. It just says often as you do it, do it and remember it's a hymn. That's how we do it. But anyway, in this passage here, we find that the church met together on the first day of the week. So that's important. You know what Sunday is? Sunday's God's day. That belongs to him. It doesn't belong to the ball team. It doesn't belong to the school. It doesn't belong to the work. Now you say, well, I get called in every now and then. I know that, and I'm not mad at you if you do. That's, a, I mean, if you had to work every Sunday, it would be a time, you know, say, well, I might try to find something else. But that happens to anybody. You know, I understand that. And I don't, I don't think God's mad at you over that. I'm just saying, you know what I mean. Sunday's his day. And then you go down, and, and they say, well, it's the lake day, and it's the golf day, and it's the shopping day, and it's the... No, it's God's day is what it is. You say, which Sunday is God's day? Every one of them. 52 of them a year. They belong to the Lord. I mean, we're supposed to give them to Him. And so Sunday is God's day. God gives us six days in a week to do what we want to do. And He said, one day is mine. We meet on Wednesday nights at our church. You say, is there anything wrong with that? Nothing wrong with it at all. I can show you in the Bible many times where they met every day. I mean, they spent time uh, together worshiping the Lord. I think uh, Wednesday is a good thing. Now, there's not a commandment to meet on Wednesday as far as a scriptural commandment. We ought to meet whenever the church decides to meet. And most churches have a midweek service, which is a good thing because it kind of keeps us charged up so we can make it all the way through the week till the next Sunday. And it's a good thing. You can't have too much church. It's a wonderful thing. But Sunday, now that's God's day. That's the day of the Lord right there. And so we ought to give it to him. We ought to get up, try to do our best, get out of bed, come to church, put a smile on our face, and be ready to worship our Savior. Because it's his day. He's been good to us. Not only that, we find they had preaching. When the disciples, first, uh, upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow and continue his speech until midnight. 
He's one of those long-winded preachers. He preached by the calendar instead of the clock. He's one of those, you know. But anyway, we ought to have preaching then when we meet together. That's pretty plain. And so we made your own preaching. You might not have the best preacher, but you don't, you've got a preacher that likes it as much as any other preacher. But still, we're to have preaching. That's what the Bible tells us to have. We have singing and all these other things, and we love singing. And singing is a time of worshiping our God, and that's what we're supposed to do. But that singing ought to get us ready and get us ramped up from a message from the Bible. For the preaching, the preaching is the main attraction. I mean, we need more preaching is what we need. Preaching gets the job done. By the foolishness of preaching, he saved them which believe, it says. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved is the power of God. Save people like preaching. So we're to have preaching. Now I'm going to get you where it hurts now. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians 16. You say, "Uh uh-oh. So what are you going to give us here? Well, the church is commanded to take up the offering on the first day of the week. Now, some of you thought we just passed the offering just because, well, they're just taking up money. And that preacher wants to get as much as he can get. The preacher don't even know who gives what. We're not one of those kind of churches. Did you know there's churches around this area? The preacher owns the church building. That ain't the way it is here. And it ain't ever going to be that way. You say, well, it's not my church. It's the Lord's church. There's a difference right there. I know of a church where the preacher, they got mad at the preacher, and he owned the church building, and some of them didn't even know it, and they voted to fire the preacher. He said, that's fine, but he said, you need to find you somewhere to meet come Sunday. <laughs> they said, what? That's so, that's against, so against the Bible, it's not even funny. That's unreal, and <laughs> that's not the way it is. You say, who owns this building? Mainly the bank, amen. <laughs> oh, yeah, the Lord paid off any time he gets ready. I don't even sweat over it. All right, 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye, upon the first day of the week. What's the first day of the week? Sunday. Let everyone, that's everybody in the house, of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. You know what the Bible says? It's scriptural to take up the offering on the first day of the week. I know churches that take up offerings on Wednesday nights. You say, is that wrong? No, it's not wrong. Just like it's not wrong to meet on Wednesday night. But we're commanded to take it up on Sunday. And uh, churches that take it up, that's all right too. A lot of times when we have revival meetings, we'll take up a special. It's not any different taking up on Wednesday night. We might take up a love offering or something. Uh, for the evangelists that come, we normally do. It's good, it, and, and I do that for more than one reason. Number one, it's good to take care of a man of God that comes. God always blesses a church that takes care of his men. Number two, it's good for everybody to have an opportunity to be part of blessing that man. I believe God blesses each of us. And so every time I give every time personally. I don't ask you to do something that I don't do. Every time I give personally. Because I want to. I think God blesses you for that kind of thing. And he always will. You can never outgive God. That's impossible. That's impossible. And so I'm not preaching on giving tonight. I'm just saying, why do we take up an offering? Because we're told to. The Bible tells us to. And it's a scriptural practice. And did you know that um, the Bible talks about tithing? I believe in tithing. Not everybody does. That's all right. I can be friends with people that don't. 
The first person that tithed was not under the law, but was under grace. His name was Abraham. So that's the first time I'm under grace. So if Abraham did it under grace, I'm going to do it under grace. And that's in Genesis 14. You know what I found? Most people that don't believe in tithing, they don't even give 10%. Most of them. They said, we believe in sacrificial giving. Well, let's just see how much you sacrifice. I don't give 10%. I give way over 10%. And so that's an offer. I just give more. And next year, I hope I can give more than that. See? I want to give what I can. You say, well, I don't want to give. Well, you don't got to give. It's up to you. That's between you and the Lord. But anyway, that's just the way it is. But God's churches, they operate off of the money that's given in the offering plate. That's how a church operates. And so that's why we take that up. And God blesses it. And to be honest with you, God doesn't even need my money, and he doesn't need your money. He doesn't need our money. God just does that so we can have a part in it. That's all that's about. And so nobody's keeping up with who gives and who doesn't give. We don't pay attention to that. You just do whatever the Lord, you feel led by the Lord and do it. But we're not, we don't keep records and all that kind of stuff. Who gave it? I don't know of anybody that what they give other than me and my family. That's all I know. That's all I want to know. So, so I don't know. I'm not worried about it. So I did. I just couldn't give this week. Well, don't you stop coming because you couldn't give. My goodness, that'd be a dumb reason to not come. You come anyway. You do it anyway. There was years in my life where I didn't tithe. I bet some of you could say the same thing, that tithe, I don't know who tithes, but there was. There was years, I'm not, my younger days, not since I've been a preacher, but there's years. You know, I thought about it, I thought, man, I got a lot of making up to do one of these days. <laughs> anyway, but there's years. But I also found in the Bible, did you know there's a lady in the Bible? She was a widow and she gave two mites, which would have equaled about an eighth of a cent. And the Lord looked at her and he said, she's given more than all of them. You know, sometimes it's not measured on how much you give to the Lord. Sometimes it's measured on how much you got left. You know those rich people were giving more than her. She gave an eighth of a cent. And God said, she gave all she had. She said these others gave of their substance. She gave all of her living. She gave everything she had. You say, well, how'd she eat? I just have a feeling she ate okay that night, don't you? <laughs> The Lord watched it, and he saw what was going on. And she was a lot like that widow over there in Elijah's day. And then the Lord said, go there in the gate. And he said, there's a famine, and I know there's no food. He said, there's a widow woman. She'll feed you. That widow woman's gathering up sticks, and Elijah comes in. He said, the Lord sent me to, he said, uh, but how about some food? And she said, well, all I've got is a, is a little barrel, and it's got just enough meal to make one more cake for me and my son, and just enough oil to cook with it. And she said, then we're going to die. That'll be the last meal. He said, well, that's good. He said, but feed me first. Could you imagine that? What? Feed me first. That's what he told her. And you know what? She believed God and she fed him first. And the Bible says that they ate out of that little barrel and that little oil for many days. Every time she went back, she grabbed her another handful and another handful. You know, God can make ends meet when nobody else can make them meet. God can do that. And so I'm not worried about it. I'd be more worried about not giving to him than giving to him because I know God can take care of me. I know he can take care of me. And so we're supposed to give on the first day of the week. It's right by God. Now, one more thing. We don't meet on Saturday because Saturday's the Sabbath in the Bible. And the Sabbath's not given to the church. The Sabbath's given to the Jews, to Israel. Let me show you that. Go ahead and turn to... Uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 20. We're about done. Ezekiel chapter 20. So you run into people. There's people in this town that believe that you meet on 
Saturday. They're good people, too. There's good people in this town that believe that. Not talking bad about them. I'm just saying I can't agree with them. They're good people, make good neighbors, and that kind of thing is what I'm saying. But that doesn't mean that they're right. Sunday's God's day. All right, Ezekiel chapter 20. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 20. Here's just some 2020 vision. And hallow my Sabbaths. That means that make them holy. And they shall be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. The key word is a sign. The Jew requires a sign. That's 1 Corinthians 1, 22. Signs deal with the nation of Israel. They don't deal with me and you. Now, he says, hallow my Sabbaths, and they shall be a sign between me and you. Who's he talking to? Well, let's go back and see. Look down here in about verse 10. Wherefore, I caused them to go forth out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. Well, I know somebody brought out of Egypt and took into the wilderness. Do you? I've seen the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. That was Israel. And Moses said, let my people go. And boy, after a whole bunch of plagues, they finally let them go. He didn't want to. But he finally let them go. And boy, they went and they wandered in the wilderness. Verse 11. And I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which if a man do, he shall even live in them. Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctify them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. Who's he talking to? He's talking about the house of Israel. That's a nation. He made a Sabbath with them, made it holy, and put a sign between him and them on the Sabbath. And they wouldn't keep it, and they did wrong, and they, they polluted his Sabbath in verse 16, and they served false gods and idols and that sort of thing. And he told these people, he said, don't you walk after the statutes of your fathers in verse 18. Don't you observe judgments nor defile yourselves with their idols. He said, verse 19, I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them and hallow my Sabbaths. And they shall be a sign between me and you. He said, you nation of Israel, your, your forefathers, they didn't keep the deal. They didn't keep the promise. But he said, you that have come down from them, keep my Sabbaths. Well, listen, God's not dealing with Israel now. He's dealing with the church. And that's the first day of the week that we meet. That belongs to us. That's our day. And so every local church ought to meet on Sunday. Every day of the year is when we should meet. And so I put a lot in there with that. But I wanted to show you the Lord probably died on Wednesday afternoon. And he was resurrected on the first day after three days and three nights. And then I also want to show you that because he died... The law has been fulfilled, and now the Sabbath is Sunday. And we meet on Sunday, and we preach on Sunday. We take an offering on Sunday because Saturday was Israel's day, and we're not Israel. All right, we've got to stop. Any questions or comments? Yes, sir.